0: Welcome back to Administrative Static. Uh, Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you. Uh, we uh, filed a cert petition at the U.S. Supreme Court this week, uh, John, in a case that has been uh, uh, kicking around NCLA for uh, quite a long time. Uh, the case is Law Offices of Crystal Moroni v. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And the uh, CFPB. Yes, the, CF, the, the notorious CFPB, uh, which is statutorily is the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection, but they didn't like uh, BCFP. I guess that was less <laughs> sonorous so or, or, or they didn't generate the, uh, uh, the the logo that they liked uh, as much. so they um, they keep calling themselves the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. but that's the least of their problems because uh, the, the CFPB is funded in a completely unconstitutional way. We've talked about this before so I won't dwell on it but they get their funding from the Federal Reserve rather than from Congress, and Congress did pass a law once upon a time back in, um, you know, in the first term of the Obama administration that uh, that created this behemoth and said that you know rather than coming back to Congress for annual appropriations, they would have the right to take eventually twelve percent of the revenues of the Federal Reserve up to twelve percent.
1: And the Federal Reserve gets its money from the delta in what banks take money from them and what they the percentage that that banks take money from them and what they uh, loan it out at so they don't they're they're not bound by uh, any um, congressional appropriation either and now the CFPB then piggybacks off of that um, so yeah. it is and and we already know the CFPB already lost one case because it used to be that their uh, officers were <laughs> were in, insulated from the president
0: yeah so I mean that's one of the things that the that that's interesting about this case is that we've had these constitutional arguments in it from the beginning. And and let me just say, Crystal Maroney did nothing wrong. The agencies never accused her of doing anything wrong. She had a terrific rating with the better business bureau, but you know, this CFPB didn't like what, uh, you know, the the sort of the the business that she was, not, not the business she was in, even John, the business that, that her business was sort of, uh, uh you know a pertinent to
1: supporting supporting she she would she would collect outstanding loans for her clients well she well, no yeah, she's no, no, not yeah, what she not, did. No. her
0: clients did that yes her clients were in the the loan collection right. business and she was you know supporting them with sort of with some soft services right uh you know to to sort of give people options on you know how they might pay down their debts and and so forth and the cfpb for whatever reason doesn't like the you know, the consumer loan debt collection, just as right. this administration doesn't like the student loan debt you know, collection right. uh, uh, situation either. And so uh, uh, but I should say the case, you know, it predates this administration. So I can't can't hang all the yeah, and, can't hang
1: all the blame there. And, and the thing of it is, is that you said she did nothing wrong. They destroyed her business just by investigation. That's right. And that is the really horrible thing here because there was no way to get out of it or it was just all document disputes and get this stuff and get that stuff. Not that you've done anything wrong. Yeah, We haven't ever found anything wrong, but we're going to keep asking you questions until it so disrupts your business that you've well, got to flee.
0: And, and we're going to demand attorney-client privilege information. And if oh, you yeah. turn that over, then who's going to hire you as their attorney anymore you're because right. yep. you know, you're know going to destroy your business that way too
1: and the bar has done nothing about this you know now the sec has started to ask for this type of stuff yes and the entire
0: covington right yes and so now
1: but when covington got it has suddenly oh the bar's all upset well you've got to start and help these little single practitioners because this it's spread now right and now it's spreading all over
0: yeah no that's that's exactly right and so you know fortunately uh well let me let me back up one step to say So we had these constitutional objections in this case from the beginning. We also had these objections to just the way she was being treated, the lack of due process, all these other things that were a problem. But the core constitutional complaints in the case were always two. One, that the head of the CFPB was protected from removal by multiple layers of removal protection in a way that we didn't think was constitutional for a single-headed agency. We may not think it's constitutional for a multi-headed agency either, but we can set that aside for purposes of the CFPB. And, and, the FTC and, uh yeah exactly uh FTC cough CPSC cough <laughs> um, but uh uh John took that cough quite quite seriously there that was a that was that was a good one so uh so that case has already been decided by the supreme court sale law uh, decided that in fact that's correct you can't have these you can't insulate the director of the CFPB who has immense amounts of power uh, the DC circuit called him the second most powerful person in the federal government which is Interesting for an entity that was just created ten years or so ago, you know, twelve years ago, whatever it is. Uh, so, so that's interesting. But, uh, but the Supreme Court decided that the president can now fire that person uh, directly. There isn't the tenure protection. But the other claim we've made from the get-go is this funding mechanism is unconstitutional through the Fed. That you can't cut Congress out of the appropriations process for a regulatory agency that decides people's rights. So you might you set aside whether you can do it for the federal reserve because they're not out there doing the same sorts of investigations and regulation of individuals right. and, and, and small businesses like this, but CFPB is, and for them to, to not be, uh, not only not be funded by Congress, but not have congressional oversight, not be reporting, you know, they on their, on their spending practices and so forth. This is a problem. So the fifth circuit court of appeals in a different case decided, uh, here within the last year that in fact that is unconstitutional the cfpb not surprisingly appealed that case to the supreme court and the supreme court granted cert and has dis- agreed to hear that case so we're our case with crystal moroni even though it was begun earlier than the fifth circuit case i guess the fifth circuit moves faster than the second circuit and so our case is on a little bit more of a slow train and but we are now we, we have now filed a similar cert petition with the Supreme Court. Now, what the Supreme Court could do is decide to hear both of these cases, much like they did with our with our Cochrane case paired up with with Axon, which had gotten to the Supreme Court first. Or they might decide, well, we're just going to hold your cert petition. We're going to decide this other case from the Fifth Circuit. And then we'll either presumably dismiss your petition if we overturn the Fifth Circuit or we'll grant your petition if we uphold the Fifth Circuit. Right. And
1: and actually there's it's interesting because we filed three petitions for cert in the last two weeks. And each of them asked for a slightly different thing, depending on what the court might do. In this case, we said, "Hey, if we want to. Tr- we if if you if you rule on the CFP, hold our case until you've ruled on the CFPB, and then remand it uh, with instructions to follow." It's, I think that's what we said in in the Maroney case. In uh, it, it in the uh, Bumstock case, <laughs> we said, "Look, take it, but also take this question about uh." The rule of lenity. The rule of lenity, and the government has come back with a quick reply and saying we think our question covers the rule of lenity, and you should do it. And so both sides have agreed, which is very odd, right? The government puts in a reply to say we put in a reply to say yes, you should take it, and they say, and what well, the thing you, they want you to take it, we think you've already taken it. That's right. So so there's so there's all this agreement amongst the government and us. It's so <laughs> unusual. I read read those, and then in in, um, in uh, relentless, we've asked to either. Uh, be be held or please join us with with the same question and take this other question so there's a number of things you can do. I found it interesting looking at each one uh, that it's not just here I've petitioned for cert take my case whole wholeheartedly or or with the same question. there's a number of things you can do and I think these three petitions for cert show that
0: yeah that's that's right and and they show that it can be done and it shows that you know, we're not, we're not doing this process in some sort of a cookie cutter way. Right. We're looking at each of Correct. these cases independently, what makes the most sense, given the facts of this case, given the posture of this case, given what's already happened to other cases in the pipeline, et cetera. Uh, and I think there's a, a, you know, I think, you know, just to toot our own horn here, and really to pat my litigation colleagues on the back, I think they've done a good job of figuring out, okay, what's the, and you know, what makes the most sense. And just because something worked once doesn't mean you just keep doing that same thing. It may not make sense in another, uh, in another context. But, um, but the arguments that we're making and the reasons why we're saying that this petition should be granted are basically the same ones why they already granted in, in the other case out of the Fifth Circuit. Uh, and that's that there is a conflict uh, among the federal appeals courts about whether or not this, uh, this method of funding is uh, constitutional or not. Uh, we, you know We had the Fifth Circuit say that it's not constitutional, or excuse me, that it is, that, the, that it's not constitutional. The second circuit in our case said it is constitutional. So there's now a, a circuit split. You're, you're welcome. I like mm-hmm. this time the Supreme court had already granted before we, created a circuit split same with Loper
1: Bright they took it with no circuit split and I'm sitting here we sit around all day wow where's the circuit split and they're like yeah I don't need that right now (laughs) but it is important the fifth circuit the government asked for it the solicitor general asked for it and and I think same with bump stocks yeah and so when the solicitor general asked the Supreme Court this is important please look at it the the is there a circuit split question is not as important as it is for private living
0: right because the government's position is look we have a federal law that's been struck down by one circuit and we think it's shouldn't have been struck down and right. we want to be able to apply this federal law everywhere across the country not just in 11 twelfths of the country or whatever right. the case is, may be and
1: then it's why the solicitor general is often called the uh, 10th justice because they do have that little extra power
0: yes there's a lot more oomph coming from <laughs> yeah from that end of, uh, of pennsylvania avenue uh but the uh but the so we have been raising this funding structure issue all along, uh, and, we, um, uh, and so we're, we're glad that the Supreme Court is going to, to hear it. And obviously, we make the point that the Second Circuit uh, decision is, is incorrect. And, and, and look, it's not just that it's incorrect, but it's that the, the whole approach that the courts have taken here has been to give a really long leash to the CFPB all throughout this litigation. Uh, and as a result of that, the agency was able to destroy this business even though ultimately the business was complying with a lot of things that the government you know, wanted. But when you have these small businesses and then you're asking them to turn over mountains of documents, it's very difficult for a small business to, uh, to comply with that and run their business at the same time. And particularly when they aren't even under suspicion for having violated the law, the courts need to step in and do a better job of policing that. You can't have these agencies running people out of business and letting the process be the punishment. And that's what happened here. So stay tuned. We'll let you know what the Supreme Court does. Welcome back to Administrative Static. John and I are joined by our distinguished colleague, Senior Litigation Counsel, uh, Greg Dolan, MD, uh, who has been, uh, who's a former clerk on the Federal Circuit uh, Court of Appeals and has been uh, leading the effort here, along with John, uh, to uh, defend uh, Circuit Judge Pauline Newman from efforts to uh, remove her from the federal bench. Uh, Judge Newman just turned 96. Uh, years old. She's a, she, she remains an active judge on the federal circuit. And, uh, and Chief Judge Moore has, uh, uh, ha- uh, has identified a complaint uh, against her, suggesting that she's no longer uh, capable of doing the job. But to me, what's really interesting, and, and Greg, I'd love to talk about whatever you want to talk about with this case. But what's really interesting to me is this shift that's occurred between what they originally were, were sort of giving as the reasons why they were looking into this and now they've changed in terms of what they're what they're looking at. I don't know. Can we talk I mean, about that? Or
2: we is... can. I think some of the orders are public, or most of the orders uh, are yeah. public.
1: The, the change yeah. certainly is the public. change
2: is public. So as you Mark as you mentioned, it all began with allegations that Judge Newman is too slow, <clears throat> takes too long, and just is unable to keep up with her duties as a full time circuit judge. Um, and as oh. a result,
0: ostensibly for a reason of either mental
2: or physical, physical disability, correct. And as a result, ought to step down. And when Judge Newman refused, uh, Judge Moore instituted formal proceedings to essentially force her to step down. Um, That has been going on for a few months. The special committee that Judge Moore appointed demanded that Judge Newman sit for psychological evaluations and neurological evaluations. Well, Well,
0: first they stopped sitting her on any hearings without before they'd even done any sort of uh, investigation or, or any sort of proceedings?
2: Well, that's a, that's a, also an interesting issue where also there's been changes. So initially, and again, this is public, there was an email from Judge Moore to Judge Newman saying that basically, look, Judge Newman, you know, there's proceedings have been instituted against you. This is email of April 5th, and you will not be put back on the bench until the proceedings are completed. Um, we've written several times to the federal circuit saying there's no authority for this and a preliminary suspension, and then eventually, two months after this April fifth email, Federal Circuit changed tack and said, "No, no, this is, has nothing to do with the investigation. This is not a preliminary suspension pending punishment. This is just purely administrative suspension because you've been too slow in resolving your cases." citing uh, a wholly different statute, a wholly different thing, uh, which is also has delayed some of our litigation uh, moves as well, but. Um, that goes back to your point, Mark. That throughout, kind of on on multiple tracks, the federal circuit, when faced with uh, our letter saying what you're doing is not consistent with the statutory authority, even leaving aside constitutional problems, they've said, "Well, what about this statute?" Kind of like, "Well, if you don't, it's, you know, it's the old Oscar Wilde thing. These are my principles, and if you don't like him, I have others, <laughs> right?" It's kind of like, "Well, here's our statutory authority. Oh, no good. Well, how about that statutory authority?" <laughs> So and that's kind of, and that's also with investigation.
1: Also find me the man and I'll find you the crime.
2: Exactly. Right. So, and so that's kind of also what Judge Newman is being investigated now for. So they began with kind of this mental slash physical disability allegations uh, required her to sit for various medical examinations. Which by the way,
0: uh, those original allegations have, I think have fallen to the wayside in part because everyone who's interacted with Judge Newman recently sees that it's not true. Like she's, Seems to be sharp as
1: a tack. And right. I, including the Washington Post, it appears. Right.
0: Yeah. Although I, I wouldn't like,
2: I wouldn't raise our hopes up too much. I don't think they've fallen to the side because the latest Federal Circuit order says, no, no, the, these are still live. We just can't make, make much headway on them without just nuanced cooperation. So I don't think they've fully dropped it. Okay. Although I think on the marriage, they ought to. But um, after they've ordered her to sit for the examination with doctors that we have no idea how they chose them or why or what are those doctors' credentials, Um Judge Newman said, no, right, you you haven't made your prima facie case, and you haven't let me participate in selection of these providers, and et cetera. So they did change the accent, like, well, now we're going to investigate you
0: for failing to cooperate. And Even she though... also thought that this should be given over to a different circuit judicial council to look at and not, Correct. not, not be done by her own colleagues. And
2: in, Indeed, my research has shown that since um, at least 2006, when there was this famous uh, report Uh, by a committee chaired by Justice Breyer to talk about how these discipline proceedings ought to be structured. Not a single case against a circuit justice that went to the investigating committee stage. So there's lots of cases where somebody complained about a judge and basically the chief judge of the circuit said that's meritless. It's not going anywhere. So that those don't get transferred, but everything that has arguable merit and goes to the investigation every single one gets transferred. Even a a complaint that you may recall that were complaints that were filed against then-judge Kavanaugh following his Senate testimony, even though by the time complaints were being adjudicated, he was no longer a judge, so there were no colleagues on D.C. Circuit. He was on a different court by then. Even that got transferred to the 10th Circuit because of the appearances. right. Wow. Yeah. And ultimately, 10th Circuit dismissed it, saying since he's now a justice, those rules don't apply to him. But the point is that even... Former colleagues, just to avoid any sort of conflict, got transferred somewhere else.
0: That's interesting. I didn't know that. So, so where do things stand now? What uh, folks, this this case seems to be generating really quite a bit of attention, more than I anticipated when we took it on. Well, I don't want to tip our hand too much because sure. we do have filings
2: coming up um, soon. I'm not going to say when or what kind. Sure. Uh, but we do have two tracks. We have one in district for the District of Columbia, where we have sought uh, injunctive relief in our complaint. Uh, we will proceed on that track. Again, I'm not gonna reveal too much how, uh, but there's that track, and that's gonna happen soon. Um, at that point, government we've actually made contact with government attorneys. They'll respond. They told us they'll probably move to dismiss, at which point we'll have a chance to reply to that. So uh, and a fairly short scheduled briefing. Um, and then we have a second track, and this is also public that the federal circuit ordered judge Newman to respond by July 5th. um, They gave us 25 single space pages um, to respond. I don't know if we'll need all of them, but basically um, uh, asking us to justify Judge Newman's refusal to cooperate, to sit for these examinations. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think this one I can sort of tip my hand because we've been saying this a lot to the federal circuit before. Yeah. No transfer. We don't know who these doctors are, why they were chosen, et well, cetera.
1: What you just said is just so the fact is, if if you were so sure that all these things were going on and you had a judge who was really not doing the job or had mental, I would send it to another circuit so fast your head would spin. Right. I'd say, look, Cause guys, you know they would do help, the right thing. Yeah. Help me out. We have a problem here. We have, a, we have a conflict because we're all right here. We're too close to it. And how many times do and, we- ta-
0: And we're going to keep sitting with her while this is right. ordinarily, while this is being adjudicated. Right. So we can't have that sort of conflict. That's another reason you would send it. But instead, they've right. taken her off the bench. And we say
1: this all the time. If you're too close to it, move it. You right. say that to lawyers a lot of the time. So So this definitely should have gone to someone else. And and, and it's just, it would just be natural. I think it, it shouldn't even be a fight. So it's very, I think it just adds to the, to the, uh, oddness of this case. Well, it, well you can't be a
0: judge in your own case right and, right? and chief judge Moore doesn't seem to understand that she has an interest in this case. So I, it's not just that judge Newman can't be a judge in the case. Neither can judge. Moore. I,
1: I was joking that that, that, uh, saying in Latin, no man could be a, a judge in his own case that, um, uh, if, if Caligula recognizes that proposition, then so should the circuit.
0: But I thought you were going to gonna make a reference to uh, the Lord of the Rings where the, uh, where the daughter of the king says, but I am no man.
2: <laughs> but um, no, I think, Johnny, you're exactly right. And it's just, uh, you know, Judge Moore is not only kind of one who initiated the process, but as number of orders from the Federal Circuit detail, at least allege that other judges have had problems with Judge Newman because, you know, of alleged delays. Um, so they're both witnesses and in some sense, complainants. Um, and those are empirical claims, too, that can be correct.
0: tested scientifically.
2: And then on top of that is, you know, there's legion of psychological studies that show uh, that, you know, once you formed an opinion, so this is com- comes out very well in political fights, right? So once you have an opinion, so sort of priors about something, Almost irrespective of the amount of data that's lobbed at you like, well, maybe that's not good enough data, right? So like, oh, maybe that's not a good enough psychologist, et cetera. And, I, and this doesn't happen voluntarily. So I'm not saying that, look, Judge Moore necessarily has it in for Judge Newman. Maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. But because there's this pre-existing belief that Judge Newman is indeed incapable, everything will be filtered through that belief. Like, it's like a trans-
0: or something. Exactly. Whereas well, if you
2: transfer to, say, Second Circuit or D.C. Circuit, they don't know Judge Newman. And so they'll take allegations on one hand. They'll take psychological reports on the other hand. And they'll come to some sort of decision.
1: Also, Judge Newman, I, I should point out, is, is still putting out opinions. She put out an opinion June 6th, right? And everyone reads the opinion. Uh, it's not like there's, there's uh, judicial elves creating these opinions. And then she, she's doing her opinions. And, and they're coming out. It's, it's, it's nuts.
2: And again, so obviously there are situations, unfortunate situations in the history of the judiciary yeah, where – Justice Douglas. Justice Douglas, where basically law clerks have taken over. And But you can see that. You can see how opinions are written. And uh, you can look Judge Newman's opinions and anybody who reads federal opinions. And her opinion from June sixth reads exactly like an opinion from 1987. <laughs> right. The, voice, well, the it, voice,
1: the voice, the voice is very hard unmistakable. to duplicate. Right. Yes,
0: exactly. Well, and I think it was the Wall, excuse me, the Washington Post piece that quote quoted former Chief Judge Rader, who said, you know, he'd been reading the stuff that that she's been putting out lately, and he said, same old Polly. <laughs> <laughs> like he recognized it too. So, uh, and,
2: and you know. Um, I can understand why in part this is happening. Judge Newman is not necessarily the easiest person to work with. She's a lovely person. She's yeah. lovely personality wise,
0: but she descends but 55% she descends, of she the descends
2: time, 53% of 50%. the time. If not more, she, you know, and it's much easier to work when somebody says, no, you're great. Nothing is wrong with your opinion. As opposed to <laughs> when somebody says, eh, I think this is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I imagine there's some frustration on the part of her colleagues, but there's no cause to remove somebody from the bench.
0: Well, and if that is true, that's all the more reason to send it to a different circuit to adjudicate the allegations. And just a last point, is we're running out of time, Federal Circuit dissents are particularly
2: important because given the unique jurisdictional nature of Federal Circuit, there will never be a circuit split but for dissents. The dissents serve a role of a circuit split. So if we care about public being able to bring certain things to the Supreme Court's attention, without Judge Newman, that chance goes significantly. Better.
0: Thanks for being with us, Greg, on Administrative Static and bringing this uh, continued attention to this case.